right. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Cornerstones Podcast. My name is Parker Billings, and I'm glad to be with you all tonight to have another session for fall of 2022. So we are now done with our summer season and kicking off the fall, and I'm happy to, to be joined this evening by a lovely couple, um, my good friend Mike Goodall and his beautiful wife, Laura. How are you guys doing today? We're doing well. We're good. 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 Glad you all can make it. Um, so I met Mike about, I think, five or six years ago. Um, we met at a group called uh, New Canaan Society, or NCS, which is a Christian men's group um, where we gather once a week and love on each other and make fun of each other and help each other become better men. And uh, after meeting Mike and um, becoming mutual friends with our good buddy BJ, um, our relationship took off. We had weekly dinners. We got to know each other very well, had a, had a lot of laughs, a lot of transparent conversations. And here we are today. We also had a lot of glasses of rosé together, um, which has been- and a few cigars. And a few cigars, which has been the cornerstone of our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's been great to know Mike. And then I met Laura as well, I want to say maybe three or four years ago, um, who was definitely Mike's better half, uh, or better 100%. And um, Laura is great. I also like Laura more than Mike because she is an American, unlike Mike. Um, <laughs> who is from the motherland but um yeah i've been up at their house a couple of times and it's been just lovely to see their relationship develop um over the past few years so uh i'm going to give this a brief intro so uh cornerstones is a platform or a space where couples like laura and mike can come together and talk about how they built their relationship from how they met to dating life to what attracted them to each other and what they like about each other um, to any seminal moments that they want to disclose or any obstacles or challenges they had to get through and how they did. Um, and then in closing to, you know, why they wanted to get married, why that was important to them, and then what marriage life has been like. Obviously, Laura and Mike also have two children, so I'm sure they will come up. But um, I'm excited to learn more about their story. I'm excited for the audience to learn a thing or two um, from them, and I will pass it over. Laura, do you want to give a brief introduction of just who you are and where you're from. Sure. So I, my name is Laura Goodall and I am from upstate New York, a small town called Saratoga Springs. And I grew up there my, my whole childhood. And I ended up going to Cornell University and I studied applied economics. And after graduating from college, I moved to New York City, was very excited to take a job on the 99th floor of the World Trade Center. Wow. And six weeks later, 9-11 happened. So that was a very pivotal moment in my life. Wow. And uh, I would say because of that, there are certain things that like definitely I decided to live by that day. Um, one of which was absolutely not wasting a moment. So wow. I had, you know, a, a very, tumultuous couple of years dealing with my post-traumatic stress. But then after that, um, I, had, I had some great years in New York City. And I met Mike in 2006 during what I called Say Yes 2006. So um, we'll get more into how that played a role in, in my meeting Mike because I was certainly open and um, and, and willing to kind of go along with this 
crazy British guy who fell upon my life really. Um, and then, and then we ended up, um, dating long di distance for a year. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to London in 2007 mm -hmm. to basically give the relationship a go and, and, and it took off. And so now we have, we, after seven years in London, moved back to the United States. We have wow. two kids who are six and nine years old and, um, professionally, I've been working the whole time in the reinsurance um, business. Awesome, awesome. That's, that was a great bio. That's, I think we could just close out the episode now. Got <laughs> 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 the whole story. Wait, Laura, just real quick. I mean, it doesn't have to do with you and Mike, but um, why were, how come you were not at the World Trade Center that day? So I was supposed to be there at eight, o'clock shortly after eight that morning i had just recently discovered that there was an express bus i was living on york and 82nd street on the upper east side okay. and i had just discovered and my commute was horrendous i hated walking from york to lex and 86 and standing on the train with everyone sweating and going all the way down to the trade center and then just like the the security at the trade center, two elevators up to my office, like the whole thing I found not very pleasant. So I recently discovered that there was an express bus that was like a van more or less that took people from my block straight downtown. And the last one left at 745. So I was like, I'm going to make a point of getting on that bus every day. Wow. So I'd taken it a few, a few days and I was, um, at the library studying for some professional exams like the night before at the law library um, at Fordham with my my friend who was studying there and you know left and told her I was gonna you know get this new bus so I needed to go home went to bed and at one in the morning my best friend who was living on the west coast called me with boy drama <laughs> and I ended up talking to her about her boyfriend's issues until about two in the morning and I slept through my alarm so I woke in a panic took the subway down and pulled into the Day Street Fulton Street station at 8 45 that morning the first plane hit the tower one I believe at 8 43 and so I mean this is a longer story for probably another podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. but but essentially, as I was walking up the stairs from the subway, the second tower was hit. Oh my goodness, that's crazy, yeah. So we call my friend Nikki, my angel. Yeah, seriously. Or maybe her ex-boyfriend, I don't know if they're still- <laughs> yeah. Maybe his name was Angel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, wow, that's a crazy, yeah. Definitely something to unpack later, but thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And goodies, what about you? Um, my name's Mike Goodall. I grew up in uh, the OG Southampton in the UK. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I went to boarding school. And after leaving boarding school, I went to study at the University of Exeter, where I also studied economics. And then after graduating, um, I took a, took a year out to travel. And then I went into finance. Uh, and then I took another year off uh, to go skiing 
And then I was getting back into finance, doing other things. I had a bar. I had uh, an experiential marketing company. Had a lot of businesses that I was uh, running into the ground. Like Adam Newman. I had a... Uh, I had a death in the family, sadly. My uncle, who was a big influence on my life, passed. Uh, suddenly had a heart attack. And then after his funeral, I just felt like I needed to get away. So I flew to New York to see a mate of mine, um, mm. who is one of our kids' godfathers now. And uh, he, he uh, decided that he would introduce me to some people. We can go into that in depth. And I think Laura, Laura filled in a lot of the lot of the blanks without getting into too much detail. Yeah, yeah, it was a good little snippet. So, um, how did you guys meet? I know it involves um, nightlife. I know it involves a limousine, but that's all I'll say. So, do you want to go into detail about how you two how I feel, you two together? I feel like I could start because you've probably heard Mike's version before, and we'll fill that in for everybody else. Yes, yeah, yeah. So Mike's friend who he was visiting was my client. Okay. And he had been seconded to the US for a month. And I was asked by his boss to sort of make him, you know, feel comfortable in New York and take him out to lunch a couple times or whatever. But I barely saw him. So it was a bit odd when he called me on his last day in the office and very vociferously told me how helpful I had been to him and how he owed me. And would I be um, interested in going out with him and some of his friends and bringing some of my friends that evening and drinks on them? Wow. And, and so I said, sure, you know, we're going to be at a gig in the Lower East Side. Um, what time are you thinking? And he, he said midnight. And I was like, okay, so gig should be over by then. So we'll meet up. And he's like, I got a surprise for you. So I'm like, okay. So at midnight, he calls me and they are up the road from where we were, my friends and I, and we walk out and there's a limousine. They were on the Lower East Side, right? We had a super stretch white limo. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was dressed head to toe in le with a leisure suit. I had rings, had a spinner, headband, <laughs> and uh, I'd uh, said to my friend, we're going out as up and coming rap stars from the UK. And I'd gone a foot locker and picked up all this gear. And my buddy panicked at the last minute and said, I'm not doing it. I said, well, that's fine. You can be my manager. But I'm going out as rap star scamp today. And I filled this limousine with um, blunts, Alizé in 40s. <laughs> you know, and uh, went out on a tour of New York City. And, and just to set the stage, I'm wearing cowgirl boots a jean skirt and like an old top. My friends are in jeans, ripped jeans, you know, very different, <laughs> very different vibes. Yeah, were, were you guys like dressed up for some kind of like 
country theme or we were just like at a folk music venue. Oh, oh got it. Okay, okay. And then it's like turned down for what? like this limo must be lost (laughs) oh my gosh so we so we go into the limo and mike is sat there big and large you know like energy wise and and i said so where are we going and he said we're waiting for some bloke named ruben i my surname was ruben and so my nickname was Ruben. And so I said, I'm Ruben. And he said, oh, well, you're in my seat. He said that? No. Yeah. <laughs> Such a gentleman. And I look at my friends and I'm just like, who is this guy? And I get up and he moves into my seat and I switch seats with him basically. And his friend is very embarrassed already by this interaction. He's, he's loving it. He, he said to me, okay, I'll play, I'll play your game. We'll go out, we'll get the limos sort of stuff. I'll fill it with girls. But there's one girl that you cannot hook up with because she's involved in the business and we work together and I just, just please don't, please don't. I don't need your whirlwind. whirlwind and you said challenge accepted. <laughs> Exactly. It was like red rag to a bull. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we so we go out. Mike. Um, I'm flirting with her. He's flirting with me, kind she of. Has nothing to do with me. No, no. I right. I was like, who is this guy? So we go to one bar, and mostly I end up hanging out with my friends, and Mike is hanging out with his friend. Mm-hmm. At first. At first. And then I, do, I think I did a did a did a worm, a couple of uh, head spins, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, right? Quarter like a you know like a handing her drinks across the bar. Right. So we go to a nightclub next door, which was a very hot venue at the time. It was called Marquee. Yeah, I've been there and, many times. Okay, <laughs> and. Um, they do not let Mike in dressed. So I got, I got up to the front door. I said, I've got a table booked, which I had. I handed over my passport and a credit card. They go, thanks. And then the guy at the door says, I don't care who you are or where you're from. When you come in here dressed like that, get back in your limo and go get changed. And I'll let you back in. That's amazing. Which I did. So we go in, we dance. Like again, I, I, I feel like we didn't really see a ton of each other that night. Mike eventually comes back. He's now looking very handsome mm. in a suit. You put um, on a suit. I he put it on a yeah. suit. Number why, one, Savile Queen Taylor, God rest her soul. Um, RIP. RIP. And, um, yeah, and then we took the limo, we filled up with a few people and we went back to Laura's apartment. She said, we want to have an after party at my, uh, at my apartment in Brooklyn. It's now four in the morning. Wow. And they say they'll oh, drive. Wait, Laura, can I ask you a question? Was this like normally like you, like you just like to keep the party going or were you intrigued by Mike and you're like, 
I just don't want the night to end because I'm enjoying my time with Mike and I want to, this is like an excuse for him to stay out. I would love to say the latter, <laughs> but actually I used to go dancing until 4 a.m. fairly regularly, not so much at places like Marquee, usually places on the Lower East Side or something, but right. um, I, I was like very good at the disco nap, go out at 12 sort of situation. I would regularly have a nap from like nine until 11 and then go out. <laughs> I love that. That's so European, I feel like. <laughs> I would do that with my best friend, Nikki, who I lived with in Brooklyn, who saved my life on 9-11 anyway. Oh, wow. Okay. So, anyways, you go back to your place for the after party. Go back to my place for the after party. My um, roommate isn't there. We had some very random people we seemed to pick up along the way. So there was, I don't know, six people who came up to my apartment, including Mike's friend, who was my client. So we go, I had a terrace. We go sit out on the terrace and listen to music and have a few drinks. And then all of a sudden it's like six in the morning, two hours pass. And Mike, like it was cute in the, in the limo on the way there, he writes a note on a postcard that says, I love New York. And it says, will you go out with me? <laughs> Oh, and he handed it to you in the limo on the way to yeah, your can we, or can I buy you dinner? Yeah, there was something like, you've got it somewhere. Yeah, have yeah it. we have it. We have really? it. Really? Yeah, it's in a, in, it's in a box. That's saved awesome. it. Saved it, obviously. Um, and you got to teach Ruben that move one day. <laughs> and I thought he was cute. You know, I'm kind of like, mm, he's kind of cute. So anyway, we're, you know, I'm liking him more and more as the night goes on. And at six in the morning, I realize we are, um, I have a 7.30 a.m. Amtrak booked to go to upstate New York to go back home. Because that day um, we were going to be celebrating, my family and I were gonna be celebrating. My brother just got a very big federal clerkship job. And so we were celebrating his clerkship job that night. And then the next day was Yom Kippur and my family's half Jewish. And so I, we, I was going for the Jewish holiday and for my brothers to celebrate my brother's new job. And the, and the opening of the chemical. Oh, 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 yeah. And yeah. exactly. And that. Saturday during the day. And the reason why I had to be on a train so early. No, it was, I thought it was an admiral's lunch. My, my father was a nuclear um, engineer who worked for directly for the admiral and one of the admirals. And so I believed that he, he had recently gotten an award. I thought it was a celebratory lunch. I didn't like realize, or I didn't pay attention that actually what I was going there for was family day at the nuclear power plant. The nuclear power plant had only been opened like once ever to civilians before this. Yeah. And we had to go through um, security clearance to to be able to be let in like high level government security <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. i thought that i was going for a nice lunch with her and her family the admiral and I'd probably meet bill clinton along the way so. <laughs> and uh anyway so. well so so i so basically at six in the morning i was like i have to go if anyone wants to continue the party they're welcome to continue it on the bar car on the amtrak and i was sort of kidding so i go inside i have a shower i get dressed I come out of the bathroom, everybody's gone, and Mike is sitting on my bed. 
I'm ready. Wow. And I, I'm like, wait a minute. Do you want to come with me? Are you really, are you serious? Are you coming? He's I'm, like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to come. Sure, but the thing is, right, in my tiny little English brain, you've got New York and you've got upstate New York. I was thinking it's like London and greater London. So I was thinking. Oh, it's what, an hour. Yeah, 45 minutes, maybe 30. Who knows, right? From right. In one to zone six. So I was like, yeah, I'm down. Why not? Let's see, what, let's see how it goes. We haven't slept, by the way. Nobody has slept. So, so we get in a taxi. Mike realizes he doesn't have his wallet. He left it in his leisure suit when he changed. So he is now oh my with, without any form of money. We get to Amtrak. I buy him a ticket. We get bagels and coffee. And we get on the train and we basically promptly fall asleep like in each other's arms Aww. on the train, which was sweet. That's sweet. Wake up with a panic as the train is pulling into Albany. And all of a sudden I'm like, what's your last name? What's your phone number? We should exchange phone numbers. And then I, I'm calling my brother. I'm like, so um, when you and mom and dad pick me up, I'm actually not alone. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I've brought a friend. They're like, oh, it's Nikki. Uh, yeah. My, <laughs> oh, it's Mickey. <laughs> my brother's like, <laughs> my brother's like, what do you mean you brought a friend? We're going to family day. I was like, what? I thought we were going to a lunch. He's like, uh, no, it's family day at the nuclear power plant. So it's under 24 hours since meeting Laura. She's already got me to meet her parents. <laughs> New York girls don't mess around. She moves quickly. Moves quickly, moves <laughs> upstate farmer girls you know <laughs> yeah and then i um we pull we get off the train and my parents are like smiling and a bit confused my brother is standing behind my parents going like gesturing like what are you doing was mike in a suit mike was in his suit with no bag and no wallet. <laughs> and we're upstate for, for two nights. Well, she also told me it was a holiday weekend. I was like, I love, I love holidays. Christmas, Easter, you know, those are my- yeah, yeah, Christmas and Easter. What's yeah, wrong? She's like, it's young Kapoor weekend. I'm like, yeah, right. that sounds great to me. And um, <laughs> anyway, so I meet her dad and her dad looks me up and down and goes, Nice to meet you. He's like very military, very like straight, or very like, you know, yeah, very serious guy. And then he informs me that I'm an alien <laughs> and I will not be allowed to go into family day at the nuclear power plant because no <laughs> one had clearance I could be a spy. And I'm like, okay, sweet. And they're like, we will drop you at the museum in Albany and then we'll come and pick you up several hours later. Five hours. We were gone for five hours. Anyway, they didn't, even, they didn't even drop me at the museum. They dropped me at the slip road, right, up to the museum. And I went into the trunk of Laura's car and I grabbed her laptop and said, look, I've got some work to do. And I'm like, if you don't come back and get me, I will pawn this off. <laughs> right? Anyway, so I walk up to the, uh, the museum, which is closed. I see more squirrels than people in my like first half an hour there. I don't know if you've ever been to Albany, but it nope. is a ghost town on the weekends. And I'm wandering around, I'm like, oh, 
like, where am I going to find any sign of life? And then I see a hotel and there's a Avon ladies convention going on at this hotel. Mm. And I wander in and the bar off the lobby is full of the husbands of these Avon ladies. And I start telling them the story about like how I came to New York for a weekend. I met this girl and now I'm up in, <laughs> I don't know where, right? <laughs> and they're like, this is hilarious, tell me more. Bought me a few drinks. I had a little nap in one of the bonquettes and several hours later, Laura's parents we, take us up. So, so we go to this family day at the nuclear power plant and I'm meeting all these people. My dad had like, I don't know, hundreds of reports. So everyone is like, oh, that's my boss's boss's boss. And like, he's like talking to people and their families. The and then they're like, oh, and we need to show you this room. And we need to show you this room. And I was just sweating. We weren't allowed to bring our phones in. Oh, so wow. Walking around and I'm just thinking like, where is Mike? Like, I wonder if I'm gonna see him again. Like, this is very strange. My mom's well, like- Well, he's in a bar, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Grand old time. I mean, grand old time. So, so I'm sorry, was, this is probably that way was, too long. That was, that was, that no, no, was it's, a, it's great. No, it's great, keep going. So we go back, we find Mike, I call him, we find him in the thing. We go to Saratoga. As soon as we get to Saratoga, like we have to buy Mike clothing, a toothbrush, I don't have deodorant, <laughs> like, like he has nothing. So I'm like, what? and my mom's like, oh, where's Michael's bag? I'm like, oh, we packed together. <laughs> and it was like, oh, when did you meet? We met yesterday. Oh, so you told them the truth. That yeah, well, we, we didn't tell them that we spent all night out together. Right, but we right. said we met the night before and I jokingly invited him to come and that we, he ended up showing up at Penn Station in the morning, is what I said. Wow, okay, yeah. So it's like mostly the truth, but not the full truth. Right, right, right. The parents' version. Eventually, the PG they version. the PG version. Eventually, they did get the full version. Right, right, right. And if not, they'll hear it right now. <laughs> yeah, no, they got it. They got it. When they finally heard the full version, they were like, "That makes so much more sense." I'm so glad I know that. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Great. Um, so you had so you got Mike some clothes, toiletries. So, so we we drive into town, and this is where like. This flirtation, you know, it just really starts to happen. Like we go, we go walking through town and it's a small town and I know a lot of people. And so as we're walking through town, we're running into people I know and Mike's like throwing his arm around me and saying, darling, why didn't you tell me about her? She's glorious, you know, and just <laughs> really upping the Britishness and pretending he's my boyfriend and introducing himself as my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And so we buy him a bunch of stuff and go back. Yeah, and then and then we ended up having dinner out with my brother to celebrate his job. But the entire conversation revolved around Mike because you know he stole the show. Yeah, I wasn't particularly popular with her brother from from the get go. Yeah, I'm really good friends now actually. But um, the following day was Young Kapoor Services which little did I know was the Day of Atonement in the uh, Jewish faith. And mm -hmm. I had a lot to atone for at that point in my life. 
But you, you, uh, I was sat there with the Boston Red Sox yarmulke on <laughs> Did you? In, uh, in Temple while they were reading the Torah backwards. I was sweating bullets. I think I even went out at one point and got some food out of a vending machine, <laughs> which is terrible now I come to think about it. This is the day of fasting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and I'm then not Jewish. and then we uh, then we head back to New York. I get through my through my company, which and family contacts. I ended up getting a um, internship at Soho House for a couple of weeks. So oh, yeah. I'm gonna hang out. I'm gonna see this girl. I like her. In fact, I'd asked her to be my girlfriend, like on a night out in Saratoga. And she was like, "Yeah, I'll be your girlfriend." Whatever. Then the following morning, she broke up with me. I was like, "By the way, when you asked me to be your girlfriend, you were kidding, right? Because that's weird." And this was like, what, two days after you met? Two days. <laughs> well, I mean, like, here I met the parents. He's like, had dinner with your parents. That is accelerated. It was like dog years. We kissed at the bar after dinner. Wow. And then he asked me to be his girlfriend. And I said, yes. And then the next morning I said, that was kind of weird, right? Like, we just met. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, in England, we don't have all this, like, going steady, third base, second base, all this kind of stuff. Like, we check. have cricket. We have one run. You just go from one end to the other, and then it's you know that's how you do it. <laughs> um, and anyway, so we head back to New York. I do some work experience. Then I said to her, "Do you want to go to Vegas?" Because I've never been to Vegas. And um, she's like, "Yeah, I've got some time off. Let's go." Wow. And then we booked flights to Vegas, and um, we went. We flew to Vegas five days after meeting. It was like oh, the right. Tuesday or Wednesday. You too? Sorry. Just you two? Yeah. Just us two. We actually flew to LA, rented a uh, convertible yeah. and drove to Vegas. That's amazing. I love that. We spent a night in LA with friends of mine. He was, in, again, introducing everyone, uh, to introducing himself to everyone as my boyfriend. Well, you did say yes when he asked. <laughs> and, then, and then we um, went to Palm Springs, stayed a night with a family friend of Mike's, and then... I'm gonna have to move my dog here. Um, and then we went to um, Vegas for two nights. Wow. So how was, was that like a romantic trip of like dinner and Broadway show kind of stuff? Or was it like- Mike tried to marry me. He wanted an Elvis wedding in Vegas. <laughs> and when I refused, I basically was like, no, I don't think you understand. It's not a joke. Like if we do an Elvis wedding, like we will be married. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't think that's a good idea. To fast forward like several years, she's like, "Why won't you marry me?" I'm like, "Well, you had your chance." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I give so, you opportunity. So I mean, we had an incredible time. Like we were driving through the desert, you know, in this Mustang convertible, basically saying like, if if we don't get married this is a wasted story like we need to get married because this is the best story ever like yeah. we were already we were already talking about it i was i was you know messaging my friends like you won't believe where i am right now and, and who i'm with yeah and they're like what the ali g guy yeah i was just gonna say <laughs> you took the words out of my yeah. mouth um so then that started officially like you guys dating. I mean, assume after Vegas, you guys like took the dating more seriously. Yeah. 
Definitely. Well, actually, I went back to the UK. After about three weeks. After about three weeks, I went back to the UK. So did you think, when Mike went back to the UK, I mean, did you both think that it was something you thought would continue? I, I thought it would. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a bit of a holiday romance. Obviously, I wanted it to continue, but I was also a bit of a realist. And I was like, that was amazing, but I, I can't see how this is going to work. Right. So then you guys kept in touch, obviously. And then how did you reconnect again? So I was throwing parties in, in London. So I was doing like club nights, but I also was doing like my own events. And I was throwing this, this party under London Bridge called Santa's Ghetto, which was named after um, a recent uh, Banksy like prank that he played. And uh, I'd hired um, like bartenders, fit out the whole thing, had Santa's, elves, the whole shebang even hired the machines from Narnia to make it snow indoors. And it was, uh, it was a complete disaster. And anyway, Laura actually showed up to- I surprised surprise Mike. Really? At the party. Is this, did you get in touch with Lloydie? Is that how you- Yes. With Lloyd who like helped orchestrate it? Yeah. I got in touch with Lloyd who helped or- orchestrate it, yep. Wow, that's amazing. So Mike, were you shocked when she showed up? I was, yeah, I was, I was. Wow. Shocked, surprised, excited, like all kinds of emotions. It was awesome. I was so, I was super happy. Wow. That's amazing. That's, that's a great initiative. Like, I feel like you don't, you don't really see that often, I guess. Yeah. I just thought, why not? And like, this was my year of yes. Like, I'm just going to do things. And so I, I, I flew there. We had a really incredible weekend together. It was like the party thing was a disaster for Mike, but Mm -hmm. um, it actually was an amazing opportunity for us to kind of have a more like sobering moment together. Not just all like, right. he was upset and I was kind of there for him. Oh, that's nice. So it's a yeah. good opportunity to see a different side of each other. Yeah. Yeah, so we threw this party under the arches of London Bridge, shipped in all the alcohol, the DJs, all this kind of stuff. Unfortunately, because of the thickness of the stone and the weakness of the internet back in those, back in those times, um, the payment system didn't work. So everyone came in and they couldn't pay for drinks. It was a disaster. Oh my, so open bar on mic. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> what happened. yeah. So what did yeah. you guys, so what did you guys like just quickly like like in each other? Like what characteristics did you like in each other um, now that you were seeing each other more often? I think one of the most amazing things is after this, you know, I go back and our relationship basically from then until next, the next October, like when I moved to London was a lot of, um, you know, video calls on Skype, that, um, and emails, 
And like, we ended up having like a very deep relationship interacting with, um, you know, in a more emotionally deep way because we weren't in the same place. And also there's a tremendous amount of excitement for both of us because we would typically fly one way or the other for a weekend. Mm. Right. So you'd be communicating, communicating, communicating. There's a lot of excitement. You get to see each other. You, you know, do what dating couples do, hang out, have fun, you know, that kind of stuff. And, what, yeah, I mean, but what, and it, what was, it was, it was very charged in that way. But the, the, the foundation that we built through communication, I think, in the early days. Yeah. In that we weren't together, but we were apart. Right. And, that was a big cornerstone for you guys. That was a cornerstone. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the things that attracted me to Mike were obviously his accent. <laughs> Where'd you get it, Mike? Her teeth. <laughs> Did you say his teeth? His crooked. His I am. Um, <laughs> you know, I, Mike's humor, his sense of adventure, mm -hmm. his, um, his, you know, kindness, like despite all of the, you know, kind of wildness in the beginning, there was certainly a very kind person mm. um, in, in Mike that I was attracted to. So, yeah. That's sweet. That's sweet. And Mike, what about you with Laura? Warm, loving demeanor, like the way that she cared for me was, was phenomenal, the heart that she has. Um, she's, a, she's a great listener. And really good at talking over me as well, which is also great. Um, and she was interesting to me as a as a Brit, mm -hmm. and uh, it was it was it was a very exciting very exciting time. Mm -hmm. our, our relationship is just goes from strength to strength, I think, year by year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you guys come with each other very well. Um, we, we both did economics degrees, so we just talk at length about economic philosophy about nerdy stuff yeah we'd nerd out together <laughs> that's cute she would obviously teach you some things that you didn't know about yeah exactly capitalism stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> how people and people in power here are not figureheads they actually have real power watch it we're still mourning the queen <laughs> um but anyway so you guys then so when did you decide, Laura, to move to London? I think, you know, so Mike came over for his birthday and we went to Costa Rica in June. So we met in September. So now fast forward, we're, we're dating oh. long distance through the year. So it's June and we have a 10 day vacation together in Costa Rica. And it was just amazing. But it was sort of like, how long can this last? These exciting back and forths. Like, I think we both kind of, wanted to see if this would work either way. So Mike was looking at ways to move to the US and I was looking at ways to move to the UK and we were gonna do whatever made sense. And it was a lot harder for Mike to get a job and get papers to come to the US than it was for me because I was working in an industry that is you know, full of jobs in London. And so, and, and the UK border was, a little bit easier to navigate than the US border. So we, um, so I ended up just getting a transfer with my job 
to London and that was going to be way easier. Around the same time, Mike got offered a job where he works mm-hmm. still, although he did have a, a gap in the middle. Um, but Mike got offered this great job and I sort of said, listen, don't give up the job opportunity. Like, I'll come there. Oh, that's nice. But I definitely think Mike had some cold feet when it was like time for me to move over. I think he was a bit like, it was a bit, a bit daunting to mm. Mike. Why was it daunting for you, Mike? Well, I found a way that I could have moved to the States and it was through like a, like a charity slash education, like, Needs exchange program called the Manbatten program, um, but I would have been living in a dorm in like New Jersey, and that was not what we wanted to do. We wanted to move on with our relationship, and mm-hmm. we, you know, I was what, at the time mid twenties, yeah, and I really wanted to get going in my career, mm-hmm. and I'd worked in the industry um, throughout of university. And Laura, Laura was a really encourager as well. She was like, look, why don't you, why don't you put a pause on these entrepreneurial things that you're doing? Go back to what you did at university, put your degree to some use. Interview, I interviewed at a few companies and I found one that was basically a startup and I found it like super interesting. Mm. And uh, I ended up getting back into there and growing some businesses and having some really big opportunities. and. And that Laura moved over and we, we started a life in London together where we lived together for seven years and had our first child. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. So in, so Laura, when you moved to London, did you expect to be there seven years? I really didn't know. Like I completely had an open mind. Obviously everyone in my office had wagers on how long I would last. (laughs) It was pretty dramatic. My like transferring to London, I was told no by multiple people. And I just kept going above their heads until I got someone who said yes. So then there were all these people, you know, kind of like, this isn't going to last, you you know, this is whatever. And, and, you know, and they might've been right, but I just, I just thought, let's just, let's see how this goes. Like, and if, if it doesn't work out, it's going to be a great experience, but I kind of had a sense it would work out. I just didn't know how long like London would be a chapter. You know, I I think one of the, the other things for Mike and I is we've kind of always agreed that we'll take life in chapters and we're not going to plan out to like, settle somewhere forever because we're from two different countries and that's way too emotive and i don't think either of us would want to make a decision as to living in one place or another and also when we were in the uk my mother was actually suffering from blood and bone cancer Mm. and uh the week before our first child was born she had a tumor removed that weighed more than he did at birth. Wow. She was in, she was in a terrible, terrible state. Mm. And um, Laura and I were, I was very open with Laura. So I was like, look, we can't go anywhere while my mum's suffering. I need to mm-hmm. be here, you know? Yeah. And then like, 
basically she had stage four blood and bone cancer and she went into remission. So it was a miracle and she is still in remission. That's amazing. So that must have been such an emotionally like charging week for you between Ruben being born and your mom getting the surgery. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was. And Laura was obviously supportive and there for you. She was amazing. She was amazing. And I, you know, there was, there was fears that my mom wouldn't see our son's first birthday. So, mm. and Laura was amazing support throughout, you know, I remember, I remember vividly sort of having that. And that must have been, uh, that must have taken away the like, daunting aspect you know steadily but surely over time yeah yeah as my mother went into remission then it was just like i'd reached a place in london where i felt like i was a bit ceiling that i wanted to take a risk and laura went to move back to the states and it was time it was time my mum was in remission it was time and mm-hmm. it was it was tough it was a tough move because all my business was European based. So I had to start again from the bottom. I had basically taken 80% pay cut. Wow. And we made the move together and it was, it was us. We were a team and it was Laura, me and our newborn. And we went out and we, you know, packed up our silver spoons and headed to the new world. <laughs> Hopped on the Queen Mary. I would say I would say that was our first really big challenge to overcome together. Yeah. That first year was really hard. You know, we were both in new jobs yeah. and both of us, you know, took a while to settle into the new jobs, the new culture. Um, I hit a lot of bumps along the road in my job and it wasn't going well. And I felt the pressure that like, whoa, we moved here, you know, lar- largely I was the one kind of pushing for it. And I felt so much pressure to succeed in that job. And Mike felt a lot of pressure similarly. And, and it was hard. It was like stressful. Did we take on too much? We just bought our, our condo in Manhattan. And um, it was a very humbling year, I think. And we, we came through it like stronger. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, when you came back to the U.S., I mean, Laura, was that something where you're like, well, were you guys married at the time? Yes. Yeah, so so we, we got married before um, Ruben was born. Yeah. Right, right. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, how did you, Mike, how did you know that Laura was the one for you? And, and conversely for you, Laura, how did you know that you wanted to marry Mike after? Um. Laura said to me, if you don't marry me, then I'm leaving you. That's not what I said. <laughs> so listen to this part, this is actually quite amusing. So it was like Christmas Eve. I was running around Hampstead, North London, looking for a last minute gift for Laura for Christmas. And I wandered into this bookstore and right in front of me was this big, beautiful coffee table book, which we still have. that said Paris. And I was like, perfect. And I grabbed a gold pen from behind the counter of this bookstore wrote on the inner sleeve darling i'm taking you to paris for valentine's day merry christmas love mike put two eurostar tickets in it closed it wrapped it up 
that was the present. Yeah. Laura's cogs start turning at that point. She's telling all her friends that well, I'm Mike's taking whole her family. to Paris to get engaged. <laughs> Mike's whole family assumed this. Mike's whole family did too. We had so, we had Christmas with Mike's family. There was like an audible gasp when I opened the present from Mike. I had already been in London a year and a half. It just Yeah, it made sense. Like, it made sense. It made sense. It made sense. Everyone thought I was excited. Mike realizes that he did a very idiotic thing because he wasn't thinking about marriage. Um, and, and yeah, we get to Paris. He decides to go before me to see a client first. So as soon as he did that. You thought he was like laying out the rose petal. Oh, I knew. I knew it wasn't happening. Wow. Not, that's not true. Every time no, I bend down to no. tie my shoelace, she was like, <gasps> I, I, I knew. In fact, in fact, I called one of my friends while I was on the train and said, I don't know how I'm going to do it this weekend. I'm going to have to talk to him. And um, and so we go we go out to dinner and I said. I need to know. You know, I see a lot of people in England having common law marriages, you know, living together, but never actually getting married. Mm -hmm. I need to know if you are one of those people because I believe in marriage mm -hmm. and I really will one day get married. And, and that's a very important thing for me. Right. And if that is not an important thing for you, I need to know that because I've moved my whole life over here for you. And he said, no, I believe in marriage. And I said, okay. And I said, do you think of me as someone you might marry? Like, do you think that I could be that person? And he said, I don't know. He said, I don't know. He said, I don't know. Was he, was he kidding or? No, he was not kidding. Really? He said, I don't know. And this is after almost two years of being together. Yes. So he said, I don't know. Quick aside. I, I think I was, I think I was like more fearing like the end of boyhood or the, the commitment or life getting too serious. And it was a, it was a big move, but after some careful thought and like, I realized that I was ready to be married. So the answer was more based on into marriage. Well, the answer, your answer was more based on fear of like losing your old life as opposed to having anything to do with Laura personally. Yes. Wow. But Laura, I respect the fact that you, you put them on the spot. And you so I ended up saying, listen, if you don't know whether I'm the right person and it's been two years, like I know that you are who I want to marry. And I knew that, by the way, four months after we met. Like, really? Mike came to visit me. Mike came to visit me at, a few weeks after I surprised him at this party, and we had a really intimate weekend. And we spent a lot of really incredible time together, and we had a great conversation. And I just knew I was like, "You're the one." 
but I didn't say that of course at that point, but I knew in that whole year I knew and I moved over there and I knew I was like, wow. I, you know, I didn't know how long I was going to be in London. I didn't know if it would work out, but I knew Spoiler in my heart, that's what, alert, but we are, <laughs> that's what I wanted. Two kids. I knew that's what I wanted. Right. Right. So, so we ended up, um, we, I, I said to him, if, if I'm not, if I'm not the one you want to be with, or if you're not sure, you know, I, I, I can't just wait for years and years while you figure that out. Mm-hmm. Like, I am going to go back to London. We're going to have a nice weekend, but I'm going to go back to London and I'm going to start reconnecting with my contacts in the U S regarding moving my job again. And if I get a new, if I get a job and you still don't know, I'm going to move back to the U S and then if you decide you do know, guess what? You're going to have to move to the U S cause I'm not coming back to London. Wow. Lauren, the driver's seat. So Goody's hands were tied. And when, when Mike said, I don't know, did it just like killed me? Yeah. I was heartbroken. Did, was it, did you guys get into like an argument or anything or what was, uh, Mike threw up. I'd had a bad oyster. <laughs> no, I threw up. I had, I had a, yeah. And I, I definitely cried. And then I was like, that was complicated. Yeah. Uh, but I just don't think I was ready to make that step forward with life. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was probably overcommitted to my work as well. And I think being a married broker as well, they kind of, there's like, a, almost, almost in a way stigmatized, I think at that time. They want young guys who are committed to going, going out, yeah, going out, getting after it, that kind of stuff. I don't know, there was probably, there was all sorts of thoughts that were going around. And also I had asked her to marry me in Vegas. And she had broken up with me already. So there was still some, some deep wounds <laughs> that maybe hadn't been addressed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so you guys end up getting married where? In the UK or back in the US? We got married in Saratoga Springs. Okay. And then we had a second blessing marriage ceremony in the UK for family and friends that couldn't make it. Yeah, I've, I've been married twice. <laughs> you could have been married three times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Almost. Almost. So yeah. Mike gets over his rejection in Vegas. You guys eventually get married. Um, you should have called Elvis and Elvis from Vegas and had him fly out to Saratoga. <laughs> I think by that point, we wanted a much more traditional right. uh, wedding. I don't think Vegas would have cut did you it. Have, did you have a Jewish ceremony or a Christian ceremony or both? So we got married in a church okay. with, a, with a traditional um, Christian ceremony, Bible readings and um, worship. And then we did the Jewish traditions at our reception. Okay. So oh, like, like, uh, like dancing in the chair. Yeah, the hora and 
the breaking of the glass and the blessing of the wine and the bread. Yeah. yeah. It was lovely. It was a perfect balance. Of it. That's, yeah. That's amazing. So once you settle into life in the US and then you have India, um, and then kind of what did marriage look like once you guys were already like settled in, you had two kids, um, like kind of what did that phase of your life look like? So we were married for a couple of years and then we had Ruben, right? Yeah. And then there's a three year gap between Ruben and India. Okay. India was born in the U.S. India was born in the U.S. Yeah. India was born in the U.K. In fact, you know, you never know with these things because they happen all the time. But we did have a pregnancy before India. And it was during a very stressful time. And like during some of my hardest, like that first year when I was dealing with a lot of stuff with my job. And um, ended up the pregnancy, you know, didn't last. So we... Oh, sorry. We had a miscarriage, so that was horrible. It was horrible, yeah. I think it's a lot more common than you would expect. I mean, yeah. It's not, I hadn't think it happens to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's probably not talked about enough. Yeah, it happens. It was a tough time. It's a very, it was a very tough time. It, you know, and so, so there's a bit of a gap, probably partly due to that. You know, between Ruben and India, we might not have had as big a gap, um, but you know, God has his ways. And so that wasn't meant to be. And we ended up getting pregnant again. And, um, and and that was around the time that, you know, Mike, that we got to know BJ Mm -hmm. was shortly after India's uh, birth. BJ BJ was a, a spiritual mentor of mine, he was a guy that sort of guided me and helped me develop as a as a man, and gave me a lot of you know solid solid advice, and he really helped me develop as a man, and and was also you know led by led by example and. As my faith grew, then it strengthened our marriage as well. Yeah. And he still guided me in my the early days of my faith and certainly strengthened our marriage in that way. So what what were you two dealing with and how did BJ help? So Mike was dealing with a ton of stress. So he had left one job and there was a lawsuit Mm -hmm. and he was starting a new job and he really wanted to prove to the new job that he was going to produce a lot of business. So he felt, so there was a lot of going out, going out, going out, burning the candle at both ends. And at the same time, the stress of this, this lawsuit that was kind of yeah, not, I was barely I was barely sleeping because I was it was like an impending. I remember Mike. That's when you and I first met. Yeah, I had this cloud of like a court case over my head that yeah, was in the millions of dollars, and I was it's really stressful when you're going through. It. I don't wish that upon my worst enemy, really. And I I don't think we talked about it enough. Like I think at that time, Mike was 
dealing with the stress in other ways. Yeah, I was burying it. I was I was burying it. I was chasing down chasing down business. I was entertaining hard, going out too late, not sleeping enough. It was all yeah, it was all very very exhausting. So as you can imagine, I'm working full time and trying to juggle the kids. You know, I have a toddler and a baby mm-hmm. and I feel like Mike's MIA emotionally, mm-hmm. you know, and he's just gone. Mm-hmm. And he's feeling like I'm not being supportive of, enough of him, but we're not communicating. Like we weren't talking about like the underlying issues. So we were both dealing with different stresses. And not and using each other as support system. And we weren't, and I was feeling resentful. And we were slowly moving in opposite directions. Mm. Like we weren't communicating, things were falling down, things were falling apart. And, uh, and BJ was very helpful with, as a, in terms of therapy and getting things back on track. Yeah. So what did he, did he come up to your house and did he? He, he met with me individually. He met with Laura individually. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a little bit of time apart and then we came back together and we started working really hard on it. I realized how I was focusing on the wrong things and I sort of realigned my values and omitted omitted my mistakes and asked Laura to, if, you know, for us to work together, work together on it. Yeah. And um, we worked, we worked hard together on it and it took, I mean, it, it's, it's, work. it, it took, took work. work, it took pain, yeah. anguish. We had, we, we had like, you know, regular, not weekly, but it was somewhat regular therapy for a year. And that really was so amazing. Like it helped us learn how to talk to each other mm-hmm. um, and, and maybe also like hold a mirror up to ourselves. And mm-hmm. absolutely. We're not perfect now. We still have to work at it, but we're way yeah. better. Yeah, no, of course, of course. I mean, Mike Beach, I remember when I interviewed BJ, something he said was like, he just didn't want to hear it. You know, like whatever constructive criticism Sheila had for him. He's like, I just don't want to hear it. Like, that's not, do you feel like you're in this kind of same place where maybe no, I think, I think I, was a lot, I don't want to I deal with it. There's a lot of ego, right? <clears throat> At the time it's like, I'm providing, I'm paying for everything. I bring in all this money. Yeah. You know, like, what do you have to complain I, about? Yeah, exactly. But actually was missing the mark in a big way. Yeah, not being emotionally available. Not being emotionally available. You know, missing missing the mark. And yeah. you know, the investment of time far supersedes the investment of money when it comes to a loving relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember anything specifically that BJ told you all that was maybe revelatory or just enlightening or something that you thought like pointed something out that you're like, oh yeah, like that's something I need to really change and work on. 
for me, I think as I continued investing time and energy on my faith walk, mm-hmm. my, my, my Christian beliefs, I think it built a better bedrock for the family. And yeah, I became a lot more predictable, I think, and a lot more solid. Mm-hmm. Any comments on that? Yeah. Please? Well, I, no, absolutely. I think, and, and for me, um, I have a hard time like letting go and forgiving. And, yeah. And, you know, and not, and like letting go of the resentment. And so it took some work for me to, kind of lighten my load and um and that was important i think that was important yeah no that's very honest being more caring being more you know forgiving and um and yeah i'm sure having having two children also made it maybe easier in a sense to kind of bury the hatchet in a way because it's not just like you too but you also obviously have your children involved so did that make it easier to say like let me forgive or let me resolve this or let me let go like for the whole family's sake i don't think certainly from my perspective that like divorce or anything that was ever on the table i don't even got that far we were like we right. made a sacred vow and we were committed to making it right. Right. And willing to put in the work. And, you know, marriage isn't always this, you know, fairy tale. Right. You know, you have to, you go, it takes work and you're going to have good years, you're going to have bad years, but you're going to work through it together. And we're certainly a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of love and respect. Yeah. And and I think as you as you get to know each other better, I, I think I probably uncovered some trust issues and some control issues. Yeah. And you know, you need to have complete trust in a marriage for it to work. And um and it it, it was you know, it wasn't necessarily even like I didn't trust Mike. Like I thought he was doing something untoward, like with someone else. It was not even that. It's just more like you said you were going to be home at nine. I don't trust that you are actually going to be home at nine. Right. You know, it was it it was you know innocuous, but it actually all those little things kind of add up to to not. You know, and and infidelity can come in many forms, right? Yeah, be giving more to your work. You can be giving more to your like going out, partying, all that kind of stuff. Giving more to other friend groups, and you. I believe that you you know your wife should be number one. Yeah, yeah, on the earth that you're you're focusing on it should be the number one person it should be right there at the top mm-hmm. um, and that was something that 
you know, my mentor BJ, who sadly passed recently, mm-hmm. really he really lent on that. He was like, that should be your number one person. Yeah, yeah exactly. your, that should be your best friend. Like not just not number just one person, but number one priority over work, over other hobbies or interests or passions in life. Right. And I think I got that. I spent too much time and energy focused on, you know, money, power, success, yeah, all of that kind of stuff. And the stuff that really mattered, I decided to take a little bit too much for granted. Yeah. And well, yeah, I, I just feel fortunate that we've come to this place, you know, at a relatively young age, you know, it's probably been, it's been five years since like that period of therapy that we went through. And so, and then we had COVID. Yeah. And, and then, thank uh, God, thank God we had therapy before COVID. <laughs> I was just going to say like, good thing you've got that all out of the way beforehand. <laughs> like, Let's not get it wrong, but I was still working very, very hard, and I, I still do. Like, I leave the house right now anywhere between 5 and 5.30 in the morning, and quite often I'm not back until 7, 8, or not back until the kids are in bed and Laura's in bed. That still happens. Right. And COVID was funny, because it was like, oh, hey, who are you guys? <laughs> I like you guys. You know, it was, it was like... You don't look like you, Phil and Lloyd. You were, you know, you were thrown back together as a family unit, and yeah. that's something I'm grateful for COVID for because yeah. just the time that we all had together it was magical. It was, yeah, I remember. It really was. It was scary. It was like no, we didn't know what was going on, but it was for the family unit. You either got thrown together, and you're like, "This is great. We're in it together. We love each other." And also, sadly, I've seen some COVID fallouts where people were like. Yeah, it works. My life was too independent. Who are you? I don't really like you. It's over. Right. So we went the other direction where we like, this is brilliant. We lent into each other. We lent into family. We had some awesome Mm -hmm. COVID times. I learned Mike is really good at putting furniture together. (laughs) Who would have thought? (laughs) Who would have thought? Hey, that's another entrepreneurial business you could start on the side, Mike. No, thanks. New Canaan Furniture Company. <laughs> New Canaan Furniture Assembly. No, thanks. <laughs> Go to a local church and say, I'll put together all your pews for you. <laughs> oh, that, that I do. Um, no, that's great. It sounds like, yeah, COVID was, um, yeah, a, a time of blessing for you all to be able to spend more time together as a family, especially when your kids were at that age. Yeah, I guess right. seven and five at the time. And um, yeah, BJ has been really instrumental in a lot of people's lives. And Mike, the stuff that you were doing, you know, just thinking about BJ and Sheila and what they disclosed as well. It's it's what you guys have talked about is not too dissimilar. Mm. So I think seeking out mentors in all walks of life is it's important. It's certainly valuable and important. And also generationally, like looking back, my father is a priest, but was a policeman. Um, I, I often joke that he spent his career locking them up and now he's setting them free. And uh-huh. my mum was 
my mum was a teacher. Laura's mum's a teacher. Laura's father used to work for the government. So we come from very similar backgrounds and they're strong marriages. Mm. Like both of our parents are still together. Yeah. You know, that is a, it's a great example to both of us. Yeah. And similar people and we, we love both sides of the family and we get on with both sides of the family, get on. And I love and respect Laura's parents and she, love and she loves and respects mine. So, yeah. You guys are have a great community around you where they're not going to let you fail. Mm. Yeah, that's great. But they've said it's there's also you throw in the complexity of a, a, you know, different nationalities split one country to another. Mm -hmm. You know, you have culture, you have heritage, you have these kind of things. But sometimes yeah. a little bit more. I mean, yeah, no, nobody would look at your guys beginning and say, oh man, it's going to be just smooth sailing from here on out, you know, like, because <laughs> there's, there's so many disparities and, you know, there's just things that you have to like kind of talk through and walk through together. And, but you guys built such a great foundation when you were, as you mentioned, when you guys were long distance with communication and, and really having special intimacy together and opening up with each other. And Laura, you got to see a side of Mike that, you know, we all love as his friend too, which is the kind side. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we love him more for just his ability to be able to smoke cigars and drink rosé with us and make <laughs> them laugh. So, um, so would you guys have any, so just as, I guess the last two questions are, how has parenting changed your relationship? Um, and then I'll ask the last question after that. I'll, I'll take that first. Mike is the fun dad. <laughs> and he's incredibly creative at playing with the kids. And it, it's just fascinating. And it makes me love him so much more because mm. he really does engage them in a way that is very different from the way I engage them. So that, that's been just an, an incredible thing to see. And they, all, they all run to Mike when they want something, basically. Good <laughs> or, or I'm a child. I'm, I'm basically a <laughs> When child. they want to play. I'm a third child. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and it's been, it's been, um, it's been really cool to see them mm -hmm. take on different qualities of him or me and we laugh about it a lot together hmm. because, because there's certain things that are just so him or so me right. and and you know it's beautiful it's beautiful to you know see these little people that you created right right that's really funny yeah <laughs> and mike what about you how's how's being a dad um affected your relationship with laura I think, I think any man that sees the woman he loved go through childbirth, I think it's just like, wow. You know, my 15 seconds of work, her nine months of childbearing and, <laughs> and she carries it and nurses it. And it's just like, wow, 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 wow. And it's just, mm. you're blown away. 
you're blown away and just to 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 witness your wife giving birth you're like this is like just respect like wow thank you gratitude like all kinds of things and then laura's an amazing mother like she gets stuff done and she loves on the kids and she's yeah organized and she's so devoted to making sure that they've got every opportunity to try every activity under the sun right and she's fun in that way yeah so, you know i'll just take them out of the swimming pool waterboard them you know and that's that's fun for them <laughs> that's that's good parenting 101 right there that's old that's old school british discipline yeah exactly um, well that's good and then just lastly um do you have any kind of invite advice that you like to impart to people that are listening and or do you have any other cornerstones of your relationship that you want to discuss i i don't think that i'm in a position to give advice in a blanket way to anyone i think every every relationship is individual and you and unique and humans are individual and unique and it comes together in a very complex way that said i i think it's really important to communicate mm -hmm. i think it's really important to carve time out for each other mm -hmm. i think reg regular shagging is very important <laughs> um i don't know what the rating of this podcast is but you know when you have kids you gotta learn to lock the door <laughs> um and I think that's really important. I think to have physical love and affection too is important. Yeah. As well as, you know, mental and spiritual and yeah. emotional communication. Right. You know, I think all of those, all of those things. Well, yeah. Work, work well for us. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So physical touch is your primary love language. I would, I would, I wouldn't say that, but like, I, I go away on a four or five day business trip and I come back, I'm like chomping at the bit. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I don't know. I don't know. To, I don't know what to say. I don't know. I'm just starting to get a bit rosy faced here, a bit embarrassed. I'm a, you know, no, so don't, don't spend more than four or five days alone with Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about um, knocking on your door. <laughs> but I, I, I really do. And I've, I've actually witnessed it in other friends' relationships where the sex goes and then, you know, it's, it's, it's an important part. It's an important part. Yeah, of the that's why it's important, Mike, for you to not eat too much Halo Top before you go to bed. So just mm -hmm. Halo Top's fine. It's Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> it's Jubby Hubby that's the problem. You gotta, yeah, you gotta make sure you're still a desirable asset. Um, yeah, no, that is important. That is important. And you know, BJ's, you know, one of the first things he would ask somebody who's struggling in their marriage is what? How, how's your love life? How's your love, how's life? love life? How's the sex life? Like that's a barometer for mm -hmm. your physical intimacy is a barometer for, are you making time? Do you enjoy each other? Are you, you know, letting each other be vulnerable? I think one of the things that Mike insisted on from an early stage when we had children is that we would have regular weekends away, just the two of us, 
Mm. And when I say regular, I mean, they, they happen, you know, a handful of times a year, maybe three-ish a, a year. A quarter. And yeah, about. And we're very fortunate that we've had family around who are capable of caring for our children. I mean, this isn't easy for everybody, um, but we've been able to, to have the, those, those times away because it's important to have a date. We try to have a date once a week or you know, carve out a bit of time having coffee on a Sunday morning together, like without the kids around. But um, if that, you know, that's still not quite the same as having a whole weekend together or even just a whole Saturday, like you wake up and it's just you two and you don't have to think about anything and there's yeah. no dinner prep and there's no bedtime routine and you can kind of just go into the evening still together, focused on each other. And, and I felt a little bad. I feel, you know, this mom guilt about leaving kids for a weekend, sure. yeah. but it's so restorative to have that time. Mm. It is. Like, like, do you have dad guilt or are you just? <laughs> Look, I mean, like, we're hunting down for us. other things on his mind. Um, and, and on top of that, like, Laura has been very cool with either encouraging me to go away on retreats or yeah. like encouraging me to go home to the UK when I'm missing friends and family, encouraging me to right. not feel bad about going on a boys trip or a bachelor party or something like that. She's just like, just do it. And then when I come home in a body bag after it, she was like, did you really want to do that? I'm like, I'm never doing it. <laughs> See, she did that on purpose. She let you dig your own grave. Exactly. That you'd learn. She's a wise lot. woman. She's a wise woman. No, but my dad, you know, it's funny. My dad always said that about my mom, that one of the things he loved about her is that, you know, he could go off and do things and like go on a golf trip or be with, he never felt like he had to quote unquote ask permission. Obviously you have to communicate and say like, is it, you know, am I, are we available this weekend? Is, does this weekend work? Yeah. Work, but he never felt like he was like making her sign a permission slip or anything. Yeah, but it worked both ways. My mom would go down to Tennessee and see her family and so forth. So, um, yeah, I think that's really important, and um, that's awesome. Thank you guys for for sharing that. Um, you have a really special relationship, and it's been great to learn more about it. Um, there, obviously, there's a lot of great things that I took away from this. Um, yeah, the importance of communication, persistence, especially on Laura's end. <laughs> and putting Mike in the hot seat when he, she had to. Um, and just being a team and be on this journey together. I mean, you guys, it wasn't always up and right, up and to the right the whole time. Um, there's things that you had to deal with and it's great to see you all work at it together. So I know Ruben and India are going to be very proud one day when they listen to this. Aww. Uh, yeah, it's going to be very special. Um, all right. Well, I think that's a wrap for yeah. cornerstones i mean we can talk for two more hours if you want mike you have nowhere to go right good <laughs> <laughs> and on that note uh well thank you both again i really enjoy this um very excited for other people to have some great things that are going to take away from this that will impact their relationships and until next time i will see you all soon so thank you again thank you You'll have a lot of editing to do. Yeah, thanks. It's a bit long right now. Yeah. All right, quarter stone. We out. Peace.
Peace. Bye.